This is the Better Wealth Podcast with Caleb Williams. Hey guys, today's episode, I'm super, super excited to share with you. I had the opportunity to sit down with one of my mentors, Todd Langford, the founder and creator of Truth Concepts. Now, Truth Concepts is a calculator system to help advisors and people that want to have a better grasp on how money works. It's literally, it kind of looks like Excel on steroids kind of thing. It's just, it just like helps you take numbers and then it really, you get to prove whatever you want to prove mathematically. And so when I got into this space, I knew if I wanted to be a great advisor, I, I knew if I really wanted to take a grasp on how money really works, I had to get the software. And so I made an investment, purchased the software, and then I made another investment to actually go to a three-day training course. And let me tell you, this this training course changed my life. Like literally, I credit I credit Todd to this day. He was the one that gave me a master's in and and a finance and how it all works. And I left there a little bit overwhelmed. Um, but I left there just knowing that if I could start communicating what I learned in those three days and start like sharing with the people the why, because because believe it or not, people don't really act on truth. They act on emotion. But if you can take emotion and truth and back it up, you can really help a ton of people. I am doing what I'm doing. I, I wouldn't be able to write the book that I wrote without Todd's work his patience, and uh, his ongoing mentorship in my life. And so we sat down, and by the way, you're not gonna hear Todd's interviews, like he doesn't love getting out there a ton and, and sharing over like the podcast. So I, I, in a very loving way, asked him, I said, Todd, I know you care, please come on to my show. And he, I'm so grateful that he did. And uh, we talked about different money lies, um, and we talked about how he got started. And let, and in you, if you take a listen to this, by the end of this podcast, we'll have a better understanding on how money works. So without further ado, here's Todd Langford. Todd, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for be- allowing me to be here. So let me uh, kind of just let the audience know how special of an interview this is going to be. Uh, no pressure, by the way. <laughs> uh, but so I'm I'm 19 years old. I we I've had Kim on the on the podcast, so they kind of know that I got to Kim trying to get to you. <laughs> and I and I realized the way to get to you was to come to one of your trainings. So so Todd is an owner of Truth Concepts Calculator System, which we'll, he'll get into what that is, but it's a really cool calculator system that breaks down how money works. You can look at different, you know, different scenarios. So I come to a three-day truth training event in Birmingham, right. and I feel like I got my master's in money, and I'm not saying that because you're here. I literally left a new, like a new man. My head was spinning with all these kind of things. But one of the biggest takeaways that I got is we really have to start asking questions and we really have to understand that there are a ton of half-truths. And to this day, I'm so grateful that you guys are in my life because in the process of writing my book, I discovered that I was writing some of these half-truths and we always need to be brought back to this idea of what truth actually is. And that's why I think it's, it's not ironic that your company is called Truth concepts. Um, so for, for my audience, there are a lot of entrepreneurs, investors, there's people in our industry, there's financial advisors, but they, they really believe that they are their greatest asset. We want to start understanding how to leverage money and out there to 
bring bring forward our our abilities, our purpose. But ultimately, like one of my big things is people are doing things with their money, but they're it's not actually giving them what they want. Right. I I just am very much looking forward to this conversation because you've you've really taught me a ton. And I want people to start realizing that it's not me. It's because I listen to people like you. <laughs> and it's you. And, and that's a big part of, of what we're excited about too is, you know, one of the reasons we started or the, the main reason, the reason that we started the prosperity economics movement was so that people at your age would be attracted to the business again. We've got a, a dying industry. We need to get more young blood into the industry and we need to have a reason for you to be here. And that is, to be able to carry this on because unfortunately the media is telling a totally different story than what's actually truth. And so we need young people to keep the industry alive, to understand what's going on. And you mentioned earlier, you know, people, some people have money, but they're still not happy. And, and the reason is we're looking at money as the solution and money's money is part of the solution, but it in itself is nothing but an exchange of value. So, right. so, so what it, what money needs to do is be that tool that provides the things that people are looking for, not the end result, if that makes sense. Totally. And you're also, it's funny, you have a calculator like company and you're, and you're like, guys, it's not all about the numbers. Like you, you have a software that teaches people about the numbers and you're like, guys, it's not all about the numbers. <laughs> <laughs> and it's not. I mean, we need to know that the numbers are right, but we need to understand. We need to be able to step away from the numbers and understand what that allows us to do. And and let's say that we can run some numbers, and it shows we're going to have a gazillion dollars if everything works out exactly right. Well, is that really what we want to base our future on? We need to understand there's more pieces than just the numbers. How do we guard against um, an unexpected death along the way, an unexpected disability along the way, any of these other things that might totally derail that plan in the end. So it's not just about the money. It's about seeing the money, but understanding we have to cover all the bases to make sure that happens. Well, and this is a slight uh, rabbit trail already. We're like three <laughs> minutes in, uh, but like in college, this is my truth. Uh, this is my truth concepts or time value of money lesson. Okay. You're, you're 21, you save for 30 years, $500 a month, and you're earning 12% every year without a down year. Right. And voila. <laughs> and, and like, everyone's like, oh, this is amazing. And, and I'm like, like, okay, can we get 12%? Like, th those are the kind of things that you're like, we don't, we turn off our brains sometimes. Yep, absolutely. And most of the time, that's what happens. And, and, you know, part of that is because we have so much information that's thrown at us. How do you, how do you wade through all that and figure out what's right and what's wrong? And, and I think that comes down to personal responsibility, which I also think is something that the country, the humanity has gotten away from. It's, you know, pass the buck to somebody else. Let me, let me not have to think about this and take some responsibility for my, you know, my own well-being. Yeah. Let's pass this off and let somebody else be responsible for it. And, and we, we need to, to get to that place. And it's kind of like what you talked about. You reached out there and you started doing things. You you went to training, even though you didn't have money to do it. You you found a way to make that happen. You you've read books. You you've gotten up to speed far faster than anybody in the industry, really. And and so it takes that on an individual basis too to make sure the person that's talking to you really is telling you the truth. And I think the only way you can do that is to to break it down for yourself. Right. We, we, we live in a world with everyone wants a quick fix. And, and the reality is you can't, you can't just get a quick frisk fix as it relates to education. Todd, I'm hoping, can you give us kind of the, the or, origin story of how you came about to create 
truth concepts? Sure. Um, we had had software that we were using. It was kind of going a different direction for us. And, and for our company, we needed software that we could use with our clients. And the way I like to work with my clients is not down really somebody else's path. Not that that's bad. I think it's a great tool, especially for new people coming to the business if they've got a you know a set path to work on. But for me, I like to talk to clients when they bring up a subject. I want to just go to that calculator, explain what's going on, and then move on and use my language in that. So in order to do that, we had to create our own really to make that happen in the in the way that I like to use it. So that's really where the software came from. It started out in trying to disprove some things that were out there and, and kind of grew into what it is. But 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 really it's it's that that one off of of you know, I don't want to talk to clients about something that's not important to them. Um, and and <laughs> that just doesn't work for me is say, hey, here's something, Mr. Client, that you need to hear about. Well, that has nothing to do with mm. me. <laughs> I want when the client says something, then have the tools to be able to respond to that, good or bad, and either back up what they're talking about or show them that maybe what they've been told is is not entirely true. One of the things that you do a really good job with is your calculators can be a little bit intimidating at first when you look at them, but you have stories for every single calculator. And when you walk people through, they remember the stories and then they the math is there to back up the truth. And for the maybe the very analytical, they're looking at the the numbers, but it's like that, that was one thing that I, I use a lot of your stories to this day because I think that's how we better retain. And so you do that, you do that very well. Well, and I, and I think the, the numbers are there to back up the message, not the other way around. And, and I think, unfortunately, uh, you know, I talked about pushing stuff off into the into other places, uh, uh, you know, responsibility to somebody else. And I think that's what t people tend to do with the numbers many times is, hey, here's what the numbers say. What the numbers are telling you is you should do this or that. Well, let's look at it from a conceptual side of what we're trying to accomplish. And then let's, let's see if the numbers support that that narrative. And that's really the way it needs to be rather than the other way around. And I think it's, right. you know, people don't think for the most part in terms of numbers. Some people do, but most people don't. Right. You know, we need to paint that picture and understand what our end goal is. It doesn't mean the numbers aren't important. It means they need to back up what we've already tried to accomplish or what we're, we're trying to accomplish. Right, right. Okay, so one of, the, one of the things that I learned from you is to ask good questions, but be a better listener. So like, like, like what you said, when someone comes into my office, I'm not whipping out calculators and being like, da, 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 da that's what I did in the beginning. And that's why I was not very successful. Uh, I'd like sure. lock the door and then be like, you're not leaving until we get through. Uh, but, but it's really, if, if someone asks a question and like, I, I am confident enough right now because of the training that I've done, because of the video, I've watched your videos over and over and over and over again, where I can use your, your software and prove a point. But I only do it when that's needed. And I think it's powerful. Um, you and your truth training talk about questions. And one of the things that I think you got from Daniel Pink that you've used is this idea of asking compared to what. Can you elaborate on like, like the power of that question? And then if there's any other questions that, like, that you've used like, that you think is really powerful to ask people as it relates to their money and as it relates to making financial decisions? Sure. I think asking questions, number one, is a big step that we're not taught to do in this industry. The insurance companies, the old way of doing things is you make sure that you're sitting in a chair that's higher than your client so that you can be the powerful one in the room. You know, they've got all these little things and you do all the talking, you control the conversation. 
And that's all a bunch of garbage because at the end of the day, the client leaves not having his questions answered. And, and that's why the questions are so critical. If Many times clients just want to be heard. They want to know that what you're trying to solve is really something they have an issue with, not just a generic problem that everybody has, but something that they have individually. And the only way you're going to get to the core of that is through questions. And when I read that question in Daniel Pink's book, um, To Sell as Human, uh, compared to what, that, that opens up so many doors in so many different directions. And what you find, I think, many times is that people, they're just regurgitating something they heard somebody else say. Okay. They've never really thought about it for themselves. Again, that passing responsibility. And when you ask that pointed question, it puts them into a spot of having to defend something they just threw out there and having a reason for it. And many times the reason is, oh, you know what? I never really thought about it. One of those questions that comes up often is this idea, oh, life insurance has a terrible rate of return. Oh, really? Compared to what? And then just total silence. Let them have to figure out why it is they said that. And I'll guarantee you that most of the time, it's because that's what they heard their dad say, or that's what they heard their neighbor say, or somebody else, instead of internalizing it and really feeling like that themselves. And if you can get to that core um, answer, the, the real answer, I think you can then educate the client as to why maybe the information they've heard was wrong. Right. You, you brought up life insurance. I, I think the most powerful calculator that you have for me personally is the funding calculator. And for, for the audience listening, um, it's, it's a way for you to import the, the illustration, uh, the, the pure numbers that you see on an illustration into, into this calculator. And it, it shows the true internal rate of return, which is like the actual growth. And then you can also like, again, this compared to what it's a, it's a, it, let's say it's 4% to make it easy. Well, it's a tax-free 4%. So if you're factoring in taxes, how does that work? It's after the cost, you know, after the cost of insurance or whatever. And so if you add in fees, if you add in term insurance, which at the end of the day is an expense for 99% of the people. Um, and so it's all, and, and it shows you on, in one light that life insurance is not it's a really great place to be saving money. And then Todd, I wrote my book and the title is the and asset. Do you want to elaborate on that a little bit more? Cause I think, I mean, hopefully you don't sue me for, <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, you know, the, the beauty of this industry is we get ideas from everybody and it, it, you know, we, we, rather than protecting all that stuff, it's a lot better to share it. Right. Thing is the big goal is to get everybody to understand what's really going on and what's really happening to them. That's the only way we're going to correct problems that we have in this country financially, I think. So, so sharing and spreading is, is, uh, is a key piece, but yeah, the idea of the, 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 and asset is, is the idea. In fact, I think, um, probably Vince Dodona is one place I probably heard that the first time. So <laughs> there you go. But, but it's the idea that it's, it's a matter of order with our, with our assets. And if we will route money through the life insurance policy, so as long as we go there first, we can do that. And because the, because the money is accessible, we can do real estate or we can put money in the market or other things that we want to do. But if we start with those other assets, which are really or assets, we don't have a choice to do anything else with them. If I park money in real estate, I put it there or I put it somewhere else or I put it somewhere else. But with the life insurance, we can do both because the life insurance is not an investment. And I think many people look at it as, oh, it's got a poor rate of return in the investment world. Well, one thing is they're comparing the wrong things. They're pairing typically the gross returns of their investment against 
the net returns, as you mentioned earlier, of the life insurance contract. But the funding calculator helps us bring that into equivalent yields, like you said, by bringing taxes and other things. But the reality is, the big picture is life insurance is a savings vehicle. That's really what it is. It's not an investment tool. It's a place to store cash. And when we look at that and understand what we're comparing assets to, I mean, everybody has a savings account for their for their uh, emergency opportunity funds, right? right? Ideally, we'd like to think of it as opportunity rather than the emergency side. But when we look at it in light of that, uh, the whole compared to what question comes really into play. Well, how does the life insurance policy does so much better than those those type of assets when we compare like assets to like assets? Yeah, I'm I'm yet to see, and this is this interview is done in 2018. No one's got a savings or a checking account that gets an equivalent of a four <laughs> percent tax free. And and when when it's in light of this is not an or investment. This is an and asset that's that is very much like a savings account. It totally changes the game and. And this is another. I'm getting into things that I don't really talk about. I was a very, I was a big skeptic to the industry. I, I'm, I was at 19. I was really like, what am I going to do with my life? I, I, I know I want to do something and go all in. And after your presentation, watching your videos, that's when the light bulb went on, and I said, you know, I, I, this is actually like, I get it. And this is one of the most powerful, profound things. Wow. And to the point that I wrote my first book off that concept because I, that that changed that really changed the way that I started thinking about how money works well and you did the work and and that's a big part of it too I, I I think that that's what people that go into any profession need to do they need to put in the time and put in the work and find out for themselves what's truth and what's not and you know going back to the software for a minute that's really to me the biggest thing that can come from going through truth training. Yes, we dig deep into the numbers, but we do it because not for you necessarily to show it to your client at that level. I don't think there's very many clients that you would want to do that with. There are some engineers that are going to need that. I'm not saying that it's, it's, there's none of them. But the main thing is to give you confidence to know that when you're talking to your client, you're telling them the right thing. How does it get any better than that? I, I can't imagine selling something that I didn't believe in and understand. So that's, that's what the software gives. It gives that confidence to know that what you're telling clients is right. And we can, we can tear them down <laughs> as far as you want to go. So after truth training, when I was going to conquer the world at 19, when I did the whole lock in the door uh, kind of strategy, <laughs> I would show max potential because I think max potential gives a lot of solid prince, like wealth principles, including like, you know, opportunity costs and, you know, other, other things that even this, it introduces that every financial decision that you make has a cost to it. Nelson talks about you finance everything that you purchase, you know, but everything has a cost to it. And that idea is opportunity cost. When you go through the max potential calculator, like explain kind of the big, big areas that you use in this calculator, because I think it's a good way to start with a lot of clients. Well, I, I think part of the issue is so many people are focused on rate of return. That's become this thing that, oh, it's all about rate of return. And, you know, here, many times to understand something, you have to blow it up into a, a, a bigger than, than, than real example. And I think that helps people understand. And so one of the things that we'll talk about um, many times as we go through max potential, when they see that chasing interest rates doesn't make that big a difference. If I can earn 100% every year and I put zero in there, how much am I going to end up with? 
Zero. Zero. So, so, so the problem, we can't just chase rate of return. And, and I think people, as a result of rate of return ideas, hey, how, what can I find a, a, the best rate of return possible so I can put as little in as possible? Well, that's kind of backwards. How can we do it the other way around? If I can find the biggest rate of return and put in more, wouldn't that be even better? Right. And, and people are focused the other way. And so there has to be some balance between the rate of return and how much savings I have. And, and we're focused too much, I think, in society right now on rate of return is because people don't want to save. And we've got to have the savings portion. But who wants to reduce lifestyle? You know, nobody does. And so what we need to do is really look and find out where we're wasting money. And any of that money that we're wasting through unnecessary loan rates or wherever that is, unnecessary taxes, maybe we're paying more tax than we should, if we can start to route that back to our side of the table, then it'll make that saving side a lot easier. But we need we need a vehicle to hold that money, and the life insurance policy becomes a great tool for that. Yeah, and how would you explain opportunity cost to someone that doesn't have any context? Well, and, and that's a difficult, difficult concept because many times when we talk about opportunity cost, the idea behind it is, you know, if we waste a dollar, it didn't just cost us the dollar, it costs us the dollar plus the loss of growth from now on. Well, when you talk about it in those terms, people tend to kind of look at it as, yeah, it's kind of phantom money because I didn't have the money, so I didn't save it, so I really didn't lose it. Well, it's, it, it is real money, and that's a hard thing to, to, to comprehend. The thing about it is when we net money from an asset, people can see it. And that's what happens. If we look at an asset and we see that it grows to X amount over time, but if we take the taxes out of the account, the numbers at the end are not going to be just less the amount of money we took out, but they're going to be less the money we took out plus the growth. And so that's where it starts to be able to show the idea of opportunity cost. People can understand it when it's netted out of account right. versus trying to uh, put a cost on something that's 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 paid out of pocket. That's just a difficult thing. And what we see with maximum potential, typically, if we're looking over a thirty-year time frame, while we might have taken paid, you know, let's say it was a half million dollars in in some form of tax over the thirty years, the result is it's going to take at least a million dollars away from the asset. So it's going to be more than double the cost of that asset over time. So it's hugely impactful, yet a difficult thing for people to understand, I think. It's super impactful because, again, another thing is a lot of people have a hard time seeing their potential. And it's like, okay, it's not only like it, it shakes you up. It's like, okay, I, you spent $300,000 on taxes, but it ate up X, way more than 300000 But it also shows them like, listen, you, you with, with where you're currently at, if you understand this, there is hope. Yeah, and absolutely. Like we should call it the hope calculator. <laughs> yeah, and that's exactly right. And I think it brings people to the table to understand too. You know, one of their greatest and best assets is the one they take take for for granted more than any other, and that's their ability to earn an income. And when you start to see, man, this is how much money is passing through your hands potentially over the next thirty years. This is what that if you know, this is what the the maximum amount potential that is if you were able to grow that money. So let's stop wasting and figure out how to plug some of those holes. Second big topic that's going to trigger a lot of people. So I mean, we're going to get a lot of hate mail uh, from this one thing is, is the mortgages, the mortgage conversation. Right. I don't think there's, I think this is the most emotional. I mean, people are so emotional about this, this conversation. And it's this idea of 
paying off your mortgage. Yep. I feel like I always knew that that maybe wasn't the right idea, but I now I really understand because of your software. So why don't, when someone comes to you and says, Todd, um, is it a good idea to pay off my mortgage fast? What kind of conversation are you guys having? Well, the, the main thing is, I'm not saying that having a paid off mortgage wouldn't put you in a fairly safe position. The idea of accelerating the amount of money I'm putting into the mortgage to get it paid off, that's where the flaw is. So it may not be a flawed objective, the objective of having the house paid off, but typically the method people use to get there is, is what's flawed. And that is the traditional, let's accelerate the amount of money we're putting into the house. The reason people want to do that, like you said, it's an emotional decision most of the time. It's because they see all that debt out there. They, they see that as a large amount of debt and it's the amount of the debt that drives them rather than the cost of that debt. And, and that's what the education has to come into when we talk to them, because literally, I mean, we see clients because of the amount of the debt, let's say they've got a $200,000 mortgage. Well, and, and maybe they've got $10,000 worth of 18% credit card debt. Well, they'll pay the minimums on the 18% credit card debt in order to have more money to dump into their house. That's only costing them three and a half percent because they're focused on the size of the debt rather than the cost of the debt. And that's where right. that's where the problem comes in. And when we start to break it down, the unfortunate thing is, you know, we, we talk about that in class, that many times when people make decisions out of fear, it's usually the wrong decision. That's good. You're right. It, it, whenever we do something, it, it, it amazes me that, you know, human nature, the, fi the fight or flight mentality, you know, that's that saved us and preserved us over time. But yet it's a very dangerous way to react to things we're afraid of. And what happens is people are afraid of temporarily losing a job, temporary disability, you know, all these things that might happen. And then they're afraid they're going to lose the house during that time frame. But what they do typically out of fear to combat that causes them to be more in that position because they take every dollar they have and they store it in the house. And now if one of those events happens, they're going to lose the house because they don't have any, anything to lean on to make those house payments. And now that that money's in the house, they can't negotiate with the bank because the bank, why would they negotiate with you if you've got an almost paid off house? Yeah. <laughs> you actually are in more risk the closer you get it to pay off before it's paid off than having as little as possible in the house and then having that money outside. So it's really a dangerous position. And, and people need to be educated in that. Um, people are told that the, that the amount of interest they pay on the house is the cost of the house. And that's another fallacy. You know, the fact that we pay more interest with a longer mortgage is true, but that doesn't mean it costs more. We have to look at the total payment and what's going on there um, as to what that happens. And that's what we do with the, you know, when we go over the mortgage example is looking at what is the true cost of paying cash, paying a 30 year mortgage, paying a 15 year mortgage, and then understanding also the risk associated with either of those choices as well. You use the word half truth a lot. Yeah, it is. You know, most most misinformation has some basis in math. Right. That the half truth is yes, we pay more interest on a longer mortgage than we do on a shorter mortgage. Mm -hmm. But that's just a fun fact. That doesn't mean it costs anymore. And for instance, uh, tell me if I'm doing this right. So if you have a house that's a hundred thousand, okay, over a thirty-year time period, let's just say the house. Would cost you two hundred thousand if you paid over thirty years, okay? But if you had a hundred thousand dollars sitting sitting in an account, a half truth would be it would be best to take that money out, pay cash because you're saving a hundred thousand. Well, that's true, 
But what would that 100000 be worth over 30 years if, if it could be left to compound? That's exactly right. And, and that's the part that people leave out. It's, it's using the uh, compound time value of money on one side against cumulative money on, on the other side. And those two, you can't compare accurately. People do it, but it's just not right. And, and I also love that you touched on the, like the security as, at, like aspect. I, I talk a lot in my book about control and the, the reason like a lot of people like, okay, they'll say, okay, Caleb, like I get mathematically, it makes more sense what you're saying, but like, I just feel better paying off my house, you know, for that same reason, lose a job, get disabled. And it's like, next book, maybe we should write it together. It's like how not to negotiate, <laughs> get disabled, lose a job, and then go like, you almost should be like an accredited investor. You know how you need to be accredited to go invest in some non like special investments to pay off your house. You should prove that you have liquidity elsewhere to do that. Right. Like, and, and, and that's where people need a balance sheet to be able to see that. Hey, no, I didn't put it against my house, but I have it over here. So if something happened, I really wanted it paid off. I could always liquidate and do that. I'd be in the same place I would have been if I'd been paying it all. Right. Off. Right. You know, what, one of the questions we ask people many times is, do you hate your mortgage or do you hate your mortgage payment? That's good. And, and most people look at those as the same thing. But the reality is, look, it, it's your mortgage payment you don't really like. If, if you had an asset that was throwing off income to make your mortgage payment, would you care if you had a mortgage? You're, that's that's wisdom. Yeah, you're right. Okay, so next controversial topic is the qualified plan. And and this is not we, we don't have to, you know, dive into is the qualified plan a good idea or bad idea. A lot of people just think like they talk about turning their brain off. Like they're just like, you know, the match, qualified plan, just defer tax it, like all these things that like we just don't ask questions. And this is the calculator that I have the hardest time with because it's complicated but it's so powerful when you start looking at the matches and then the the cost of deferring taxes and so why when someone comes to you and says is is putting my money in a qualified plan a 401k IRA you know SEP IRA is that a good idea what kind of conversations what kind of questions are you asking them well the main thing is how important is control to you and and that really is a big piece of it. Again, if we dive into the numbers before we understand the big picture of what's going on, I think we're we're missing the boat. The, the numbers need to back up what we're talking about, and then we can do some comparisons there. But the reality is, how important is control? How important is use of that money? How important is liquidity? And and when we decide mm -hmm. to take the, the federal government's carrot of tax deferral. And most people see that as tax-free because most of the time it hadn't been talked about the fact that you are going to have to pay tax on that coming out. Um, the reality is that's a carrot to have you put money in a place that now the money is locked up and you can't access it. For me, even if I had to take a smaller rate of return to have that control on my side of the ledger, have that liquidity where I could make it up when an when a opportunity comes along, to me, that's more important than, than what might happen inside the qualified plan. But understand where people are. And that is, uh, you know, at work, everybody's doing it. And if you're not, you're, what's wrong with you? Uh, you know, that's peer pressure is a tough thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you, you haven't made a calculator on that, uh, on that subject yet. <laughs> <laughs> that would be tough. So, so, so that's a hard spot for, for, for people to understand. And the, you know, the idea that you're going to be in a lower tax bracket in the future, that's because you had financial failure. I mean, 
why are we why are we excited about being in a lower tax bracket in the future? And I think some people think there's multiple tax brackets that you get a different tax table if you're retired. Well, it's not true. You're on the same one. So all only way you're going to be in a lower tax bracket in the future is if you're making less money. That is not something to look forward to. Uh, that, that, not for me. I don't want to pay any more tax than I have to, but I definitely want to have the income that supports being in the highest bracket. Right, right. Yeah, it's like even if they, they accomplish their goal, they're in the lowest tax bracket, that means they have no money. <laughs> right. <laughs> Woo-hoo, I'm going to get my money out in the lowest tax bracket. I know well, and also, also, I know you kind of stick to the reality as it is now, but like, look at where our country's at. Like, is it a good idea to like plan today? And I know that word plan is maybe not the, the word of choice, but it's like, is it a good idea to like think taxes are going down or staying even the same? Especially if you're talking to someone my age, like you think that's a good idea? <laughs> right. I mean, and most people that you talk to, what are they going to say? Well, there's no question. Taxes have to go up because we're spending more than, than we're making now. How does, how does that how does that continue? So, so yeah, I think people, people in their mind know that the brackets are going to go up, but yet they shut it off many times because their CPA or somebody else told them, Hey, you're going to be in a lower tax bracket when you retire. And it's like, Oh, cool. Great. Then I need to put this money away right now so I can pay less tax on it in the future. But I think when people, if you start to ask the questions, people know there's something's not quite right there. So in, in going through the calculators, doing a lot of truth training, you guys travel all around to to train advisors what's kind of what is there something that we haven't touched on so far that's like a big thing that you've learned or that you've seen over and over that you think is is valuable as it relates to truth about money and as it as it relates to how we think i think the big one is question everything you hear and it's something that you said earlier you know Put, put the numbers to it. So for people who don't think in terms of numbers, that can be not a lot of fun. But I think you need to be satisfied with, with the answers and not just listen to what's going on. I, I think, unfortunately, certainly in the financial world, I think the majority doesn't know what they're talking about. And, and <laughs> that's unfortunate. I don't, think they're, I don't think a lot of them are doing it deliberately. But I think it's something that happened where somebody knew right. better. It, it's somewhere down the line but they said something that people just accepted as truth and nobody's questioned it or not enough people. And it goes back to, it goes back to school for me. It's like, yeah, we learned the future value of calculator. And like, if you didn't know any better, you'd think the market does 12%. Like that's an automatic. (laughs) And and it's, it's like, we, we go to school and we go like, this is what we do. And we're just trained to be robots. And what's funny is the greatest blessing in my life is I didn't have any direct, direct mentor. I learned from a lot of other people, but if I had someone who was mediocre, I'd be like the best mediocre advisor out there, but I would still be mediocre because I would be, there would be my ceiling. And so the thing that I'm super grateful is I went out, you know, I didn't make a lot of money in the beginning, but I got a really great education. And I think people from when they're listening to this are going to realize why, because I hope that there's something that was said that gets you thinking and um, there's so much more. And that's why, that's why whether you're a consumer listening to this, whether you're in the industry or whether you're just like curious of just about learning more, if you're into real estate, Todd has a fantastic real estate calculator that breaks down everything that you can imagine as it relates to properties. And you can go check it out at truthconcepts.com and you, you'll, you give them the ability to test it out for free there's, there's a full version that I have. There's a light version. There's videos. There's blogs. You, you have to do yourself a favor and go 
start investing in yourself and check it out. There's lots of information and we've just got to keep learning. We've, we've got to fix the problems that are in this country and that's going to come through education. And I think we've gotten away from it. And we've relied on other people to supply that information rather than us looking at it for ourselves. Okay, Todd, I'm going to ask one more question. It's not going to be industry math related. So, <laughs> uh, so you have, and I'm just fascinated on this idea of legacy and this idea of like passing on what we've learned over a lifetime. And let's say you have one more hour to live and the people that you love the most are all in a room. What things from your life experience are you wanting to make sure that you pass on to the ones that you love the most in that hour? Wow. I would think a big part of it is not to take what you hear as truth necessarily. I think you've got to discover that yourself. You've got to break it down. Like we talked about a little bit earlier, and that is we are bombarded with so much data. Some of it's right. Some of it's not. How do you, how do you filter through all that? And part of it is, you know, getting out a pen and a piece of paper and writing it down and figuring out what's truth for, for you and, and how that applies. So I think that's number one, a big part of it. I think number two is thinking the big picture and looking way down the road. This isn't just about um, what happens today or tomorrow. What, what is this going to impact uh, long-term? How are we going to make a difference in the world long-term? I mean, that's a big part of what we started to do really with, you know, the software and with the prosperity economics movement. And it's this idea of, yes, we can work on clients one-on-one -on -one and we can affect the number of clients that we can talk to one-on-one. -on -one. But if we start to talk to advisors, now we can impact a much larger number of people because now we can impact through other advisors as well. And that's, that's what we all need to get on the page of doing is, is sharing, not keep this stuff locked up, but let's push it out there. Let's let's start to educate as many people as we can. And, you know, that's what I would tell the, the group in the room is make a difference. Make a difference to as many people as you can. Todd, thank you so much for being on the show. I know this is not your this is not what you love to do always, but we appreciate you sharing <laughs> your your knowledge, your wisdom. And that legacy question was a really powerful answer. So thank you. Uh, so much. And um, I'm going to keep rolling with the calculators and trying to do my part in the changing the way that people think. Right. Thank you, Caleb. I really appreciate the opportunity. And you're an inspiration as to what is possible with with your drive and your desire to learn as much as you can and impact as many clients as you can. That's what we've got to get happening everywhere. Hey guys, thank you so much for listening to my conversation with Todd. Um, a couple asks that I have. If you're enjoying the show and you haven't subscribed, please do so. And podcasts really grow on word of mouth. So if, if there's an episode that you think could really help someone, maybe you're an advisor and you're like, man, I got so much value and I want to share with other advisors, please share this podcast. And leaving a review also helps the algorithms people see finding my podcast. So all those um, would mean the world. And also, I'm I just wrote a book. It's called The And Asset. I'm really, really excited to share with you all of the, the wealth principles, the, the what I call the controlled compounding strategy. Is It's really the strategy that you've kind of been hearing about through with some of these guests. It's how you can ha be more in control of your money, but also let it grow the rest of your life. I wrote about it all in the book. And, and by the way, I wouldn't be able to have written the book without people like Todd Langford. And on Amazon, it's out on Amazon. Uh, the Audible edition will be coming soon. But I want to give all of my listeners and people that really want to read the book, if you go to and 
asset.com. You can actually get the book for cost and the cost of printing it and getting you to it. Um, and so I, I don't want to make a profit off of what I believe can change your life. And so if you go to andasset.com, you can get the book. And as always, I love hearing from you guys. Um, so please feel free to reach out. I love uh, hearing about how we can make the show better. I hope you have a great rest of your week. Thank you so much for listening to the Better Wealth Podcast. Make sure you press subscribe so you don't miss the next episode. You can listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or your favorite podcast player.